those of you who are around or downloaded last week will have heard Teresa's amazing and vulnerable story, which was pretty, pretty epic job done done by her. I, I've definitely had applause when I've spoken, but never a standing ovation. I mean that. So I, I think I've got over the jealousy right now, but she did an incredible job. And I really, in, in a couple of weeks, we can't do a completely thorough job of this topic, but. Uh, we've been through some things in the last four years that I think can help us all. And uh, so it's my turn. Obviously, uh, I was part of her journey and also had my own journey. So we are, we are obviously married and have lived uh, a long time together. So we walked this walk together and it had a mutual impact on me and each other. So... I, I probably won't succeed in being as vulnerable as she managed, but hopefully you'll get a bit more of me as well as stuff that I've learned out of it. So my goal really is that we grow in faith for real and thorough breakthroughs in mental and emotional health through getting healthy mindsets and beliefs about Jesus and his work. Um, and ultimately to get to the place where we shortcut all the processes that you heard of last week that, that we totally value, right? So this is where we get tricky. But ultimately, we want to get to the place where we don't need the length of process, but we still have deep and thorough results. Yeah. And that we move out of fear about deep and personal traumas, which is all through the church and society. Uh, and there's a lot of shame attached to this, not just in the church, but in society. Uh, two-thirds of people at work who have mental health issues don't tell their bosses, for instance. Um, so to move out of fear, out of, for this, to a place of faith, because the goal is everybody gets free and everybody walks free. And so to, we want to decrease and remove any shame attached to those who have mental and emotional health needs. And help us all realize that if we're going to live as powerful sons and daughters, we need to be healed up on the inside. Servants just do what they're told. Sons and daughters live out of their partnership with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it lives life from the inside out, not the outside in. So probably not going to hit all of these today, but ultimately our desire is to have and develop better approaches to this mental emotional healing. I think Sozo is a step towards that, but in it, in it and of itself is incomplete, but a help and the adjustment of the way they look at the deliverance model, for instance, is really, really helpful because they don't shout at people with demons, but they still go. Uh, but actually, some, for some people, the deliverance experience is as damaging as being demonized. And so actually having healthier approaches to that as believers is really, really important. And as Teresa mentioned, if there's a demand and an appetite for it, she's up for starting a, like a study group, processing group, which there is a list you can sign up for. She'll be here and is here if you're interested and didn't sign up last week, because I may forget by the time I get to the end of this. Um, so most of us know, but if you didn't know, you can look it up in Luke 4, that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. Um, 
And Jesus' job of healing the bro brokenhearted is deep, thorough, and complete. And we see one of the greatest examples in scriptures we, we have is his encounter with the Gerasene demoniac in Luke 8. I personally love the story because I think of it from a disciple's point of view. They've just been near death in a storm on the sea, and then they literally arrive supernaturally at the beach really quick after screaming out, we're going to die, to be met by this demonized naked man who's breaking chains. I mean, talk about traumatic stress. This is the life of the disciple. And, and so they meet this guy, and Jesus expelled all the demons from him. And, and, but actually, I really believe that demons are easy to get rid of. What the more remarkable part of the story, uh, given the experience you heard about last week and some of the things that we've walked through, is that it says that after a short while, we don't know how long, probably hours, certainly within the same day, that this man was clothed, he was sat at Jesus' feet, remember he was naked, he was a societal outcast, he was living in the tombs, he was breaking chains, and not only were the demons gone, but the Bible takes the time to slow the story down to tell us that he was sat at Jesus' feet, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And the Greek word literally is he, he was enjoying sound-mindedness. Some of us could do with a bit more of that, amen? You know, not just talking about demonized, but, but sound-mindedness. And the Bible says that we've received a spirit, not of fear, but we've received a spirit of a sound mind. It's the same word. So there's something happening here that has brought this man from a place of extreme trauma because the devil traumatizes it in order to demonize. Your demons don't just walk into your life and you don't know. They get there through a route and one of the major routes is trauma. This guy must have had some trauma then he got se severely, and then he got severely demonized. Jesus didn't just get rid of the fruit of that trauma, he got rid of the root of that. Sorry, the fruit of that, which was the demons. He got rid of the root of that, which the guy got healed of his trauma. Isn't that amazing? He found deliverance, he found intimacy, so he sat at the feet of Jesus, he found connection, he found community and soundness of mind, so much so that Jesus sent him back to his own people when he wanted to stay and be a disciple and walk with the gang. That, that's both a comment on how healthy he was and a comment on how significant what it is that what Jesus had done for him. So... There was so much juice of love, authority, and power flowing out of Jesus to this man that his heart and head got healed as well as the troubling demons leaving. That's where we want to end up. But we don't want to end up there and not being... I've seen lots of deliverance over my time and I'm not sure I've seen lots of sound mind at the end of it. Um... <laughs> This is as great a miracle as healing the cripples and healing the blind. It's just in the realm of spirit, mind, and emotion, which we tends to be more hidden, apparently. Um, yeah, I said that. He traumatizes us. So, 
And we live in a world today where it needs this ministry of Jesus restored to it more than ever. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't vary a day or a week goes by that there's not more news of the mental health crisis that's in our society. And uh, it, it's pretty, pretty sad to hear. Many are struggling with anxieties, depression, fears, phobias. Particularly amongst young men, there's a, there's a high level of suicide. And it's just in the, it's familiar, it's around us. But like this is again a moment to shine. We, we're meant to be on the cutting edge of bringing freedom, not on the back foot. So it requires us, if we're not at that place, it means we're not comprehending something well or we're not moving in something we're called to do, we've not understood our calling or who we are. Um, there's an increasing number of millennials, which in this thing that I read is the age 24 to 39, which covers some of you guys, are seeking therapy because they are wrestling with issues of anxiety, disillusionment, and a sense of failure, both at work or in relationships. Uh, and it's sad, but it's widely recognized amongst health professionals, psychiatrists in particular, that Christians recover slower from depression. Can I say that again? It's widely recognized in the health community in the, that psychiatrists and psychiatrists, that Christians recover worse from depression. And th the main reason cited for that is the shame they feel for being that way or that is they either they feel it or it's in the culture of the community they are in um, and this makes some health professionals wary of christianity because of that reality so there's something going on in the way that believers tick that is not displaying the light of god to health professionals that, that's not so maybe there's something in this journey we've been in, which has been traumatic and painful, that we're learning that maybe I'm hoping is going to help us not be, be that. Um, and an example of this was a high-profile Christian wrote a book, uh, and in it he talked about his own walk to, to mental and emotional health. But at the beginning, he talked about being away with, as a youth with some friends and having a panic attack. And he was pleading with them to take him to hospital, but they wouldn't. They just spoke in tongues and worshipped around him and slowly, slowly this thing receded. But then later in life, the root issue was not resolved and it, it came back and he, and he had to walk the walk that, that you heard Teresa walked. You know, that, I'm great with speaking in tongues and I'm great with worship, but the point I'm making is it's really important that the roots are taken care of and not just trimming back the fruits all the time. Um, and sometimes our attachment to, st to stories like the Gerasenes and our interpretation of it has left us vulnerable in that we don't value some of the wisdom in the therapies that are available in the secular world right now. And we want to value them as much as we value our doctors. So we believe in supernatural healing, yeah, amen? But we aren't, we're so glad that there are doctors and we, 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 they are part of God's provision for us. Well, it's the same with mental and emotional health. But somehow in the church, there's this weird thing that goes on. It's like, you're going to a therapist, you know. You know, if you're not getting well through whatever help is coming your way from the Christian environment, there is some excellent help available in the quote, secular environment. And remember, all good things come from who? 
The devil doesn't want you fixed. He's not giving these health professionals genius therapies. It's probably, I think, sometimes he's giving it to them because we're not particularly listening, but that's a personal opinion. Um, (laughs) So... So we have a challenge to be as effective as Jesus was for ourselves and those around us. Um, just a quick word in our favour. A worldwide survey of Christians said that, of, this was of more than 15,000 people in 25 nations, that going, basically attending worship services every week reduced stress. And that actually faith is overall beneficial to your mental health. Just want to give us a a bit of a booster on that one so overall faith is good but this bit here we're not doing so good at is that is that okay so just showing up here you boosted your mental health you know well I want to stay home and have a rest well you know you have had a stressful week de-stress come to church that's that's that the survey is the evidence is there around the world less stress if you show up I'm too stressed come here just, just that's what it says. Um, it actually says something similar in the Bible as well, which is quite interesting. Um, all right, now our journey has been really tough. Um, I need to talk a bit about my journey, but in no way do I make, want to make it sound like what I've been through holds a candle to what Teresa's experienced, but I'm married to her and we are one. So it's not a competition. There's a bit of sound mental health for you right there. I'm not competing with her. I, I just don't want to make it sound like... Um, yeah, I'm not competing. I just don't want to make it sound like I'm not valuing what you've already heard. Um, but I do believe that God doesn't waste anything um, and that there's something there for... That he, he has been teaching us, no question which you'll hear about right now. Uh, and the goal is that we all live wholer, we get there quicker, and that we can influence our world better. Um, so it's been a profound journey. In a period of three years and eight months, we buried all four of our parents. They just kind of died. So it's like, just, just take out some of the other stuff we were going through. It's just like you just finished dealing with the grief and the practicalities of one and another one went. And uh, three of the four of them were chronically ill before they went. So that, and that, that ended when my dad died pretty much exactly a year ago now, the 11th of March. Uh, my dad passed away last year. And uh, you just kind of get through one and then, yeah! Oh. Um, and you heard last week that the death of her dad, who was the first one to go, triggered a huge journey for Teresa, uh, which, of course, I, I witnessed firsthand. I, I saw her unable to speak. I saw her curled up on the sofa for hours. I saw her wrestling to move. I saw her not able to answer the question, do you want a hot drink? I mean, it was at that level of, after some of the therapy, it was at that level of dysfunction and uh, difficulty. And that... That's hard as a husband. It's like, oh, it's like she wasn't there. Everything that she had was consumed with just getting through this process. Um, hmm. And you heard last week how an up- our upbringing in a brutal and abusive home uh, can severely affect 
her life and anybody's life. And that's widely recognized in the health professionals, the mental health professional world, that, that <coughs> struggles in adulthood are shaped by deficiencies in upbringing in childhood. Uh, in their book, Reinventing Your Life, Breakthrough Program to End Negative Behavior, the authors say that our life traps develop when early childhood environments are destructive and they then give eight examples of parenting that is dysfunctional. Now, I, I, had, I had pretty good parents, not perfect, uh, but I went through some pretty profound stuff when my dad died. I was unable to function. Uh, possibly because I'd got so close to him when he lived up here. And it felt really weird. Like, it felt like even my body couldn't move someday. L literally couldn't move my legs and my arms. Uh, and the more troubling thing was my brain didn't work. And I'm used to it being on fairly well. But it refused to respond to commands, requests, uh, to process almost anything. And deciding things were extremely difficult. And then when I did, I made big mistakes. So this was really traumatized. Just the fact that I was traumatized was traumatizing. So I was annoyed with myself for being in this, in this place. And I think it was, it was exaggerated, or it was even more so, because I was just coming towards this end of this season of walking with Teresa through all she'd been through. Um, which took a great deal of emotional energy on my part as well. So whew, I had several months where I was out of the game and, and took some time off. I'm really grateful to the team that they, they could uh, pick up the slack, as it were, and allow me to do that. Um, but I was regularly upset with myself for being so incapable. <laughs> but the truth was I couldn't, it wasn't working. <laughs> The lights are on, but there's not many people at home, put it that way. <laughs> and this just seems to be a good spot to say that if at any point in the last three and a half, four years, you have found me, me and Teresa, a bit distant and preoccupied, it's probably have, we have been. Um, our bandwidth in this realm has been pretty consumed with all this stuff, uh, and I, I I don't feel apology is what I'm doing, but information can help, can't it? Explanation can help. You know, if you felt you didn't see me, you didn't acknowledge me, well, I probably didn't, and it's probably because I was just so full of everything else. And in fact, there were days where it was showing up was here was courageous for both of us, um, let alone trying to lead and take on board what, what needed to be done. Not all the time, but some of the time. <laughs> so just so you know, and also a big thanks to those of you who did know what was going on, because it, it's an awesome family to be part of when you're just dealing with this stuff. The way that people support has been phenomenal. Um, so me being me, going through all this, I'm like, God, this doesn't make sense. What are you saying? What are you doing? I think we've got something wrong here. What is it? Because I, tell you, I was asking lots of questions and, and I'm just going to share some of what, in a time, some of what I sh God showed me. Is that okay? There's not time to do, do it all. Um, 
And, and the main thing is, he changed my biblical perspectives. He, he challenged the way I thought about him and the Bible. Well, not the Bible itself, but what was in it. Um, and how we think shapes the cultures that we produce and the attitudes. Um, and in summary, I think there is a disease in Christianity called separation, and it's frankly, it's doing our heads in. You see what I mean in a minute. It's affecting our health and our mental health and our approaches to getting healthy. So when I was talking to God, I was saying, like, where are you in this? And I broke my, with retrospect, I can break down the questions I was asking to three headings. At the time, this was not possible. (laughs) So number one question is, why has it taken us 40 years plus to get to the bottom of this for Teresa's life and when we have sought every kind of Christian answer that's been available in the last four decades knowing that there was a thing we've, we've, found, tried, to, we've tried everything to get the thing dealt with and it didn't go away why? and I have a wife with a massive commitment and passion for you she's courageous and she's not resistant to change why 40 years so second question, and where were you in the mess and trauma that she and others have experienced? And I wasn't saying it in a grumpy way. It was more like I knew who was there, but I wasn't sure where. And three, and where are you and what are you doing now in this healing process that we find ourselves in? You know, is it like a sacred secular divide? Oh, the Christian stuff didn't work, so we had to go to the therapist and you know, because the Christian stuff wasn't good enough and, and he's not really in that, but she's getting better. I thought, that can't be true either. That's, that must be nonsense. You know, this sort of sacred-secular divide thing that happens in our heads, or mine, maybe not yours. <coughs> and I discovered that answering two and three helped me find the answer to number one. Like, why did it take so long? I started to realize it was because we didn't understand well where he was in mess and trauma and didn't know what he was doing to make people well. You'll see. (laughs) So where was he when it was awful? So Romans 8, 3, yikes. Oh, yes, we can do it. It says this, that God, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In summary what he's saying is he came into a normal dysfunctional human body and human existence with all its potential for craziness and he took it to the cross whilst being fully God. He brought the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit dance, the Trinity into the depth of human experience. There was no dilution of the reality of the Godhead just so that he could fit in humanity or a human body. There was no dilution of his love, power, holiness, function or grace. They all came, the three, the one, clothed in the humanity of Christ. And this tells us some things. It tells us that he was not and is not repelled by our inherent fallenness. He is still attracted to us as his creation, despite the problem of our rebellion and darkness, he came and he comes to us in fullness. 
The shame associated with our condition keeps us back from him. Our condition does not keep him back from us. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) The shame associated with our condition keeps us back from him. Our condition does not keep him back from us. He is of the view that he is more powerful than sin, fallenness, and the human condition. Number, that's number one. Number two, the incarnation means God came and set up shop inside real humanity. It didn't get Disney-fied for Jesus. All its experiences, all its troubles and temptations and pressures, he experienced and was exposed to. In his life, his journey to the cross and the cross itself, he, exp- he experienced, if you think about this, he experienced injustice, he experienced abuse, yeah, he was whipped, he was beaten, he, he experienced brutality, he experienced betrayal by his friends, he experienced fickle friends, he experienced the activity of the religious and the political spirits. He experienced humanity at its darkest and its worst. And then he went to the cross. All right? So they'd betrayed him, they'd beaten him, they wrongly accused him. There was injustice, there was betrayal, there was all that going on. And then they went to the cross and on the cross he became sin although he knew none. He submitted to darkness and darkness had him but in him there was no darkness at all. He carried our griefs and our sorrows and our sicknesses yet we looked at him and thought he was stricken by God and afflicted but actually he was wounded for our transgressions and by his stripes, that is his sufferings, we are healed. Jesus took God to the earth, he took God to the cross, and he took God to the grave, and he took God into hell. Jesus joined human life to God life and God life to human life. Non-Disneyfied, non-sanitized, the most awful, the most brutal, the most unjust, the most carnal, the most painful, he took it all. He experienced it all. Not in some theoretical, super spiritual way. It actually touched him with real pain, with real suffering, with real loss. His was the ultimate identification with and participation in our experience. The human experience with its darkness, its grief, its injustices and its pain. His was the ultimate yielding. This is the other really strange. So he he yielded to the whole and identified and camped inside the human experience. But he also yielded to the powers that drive the human experience, the political spirit, the religious spirit, and ultimately the demonic. In a sense, he let them have him. But just because he did it, didn't change the nature of who he was. All right? he, was, he was in it, but he was not contaminated by it. It's very important. You, you, you look like you follow me so far, I'm covering a lot. So I'm going to say it again. His was the ultimate identification with and participation in our experience. And his was the ultimate yielding to the powers that drive the human experience in darkness. Political spirit, which is what happened with Herod and the washing of the hands and all that nonsense. 
the religious spirit, which is what was happening with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the demonic spirit, which is what happened at the cross. But he never was less than fully God at any moment of that experience. So the human experience wasn't lessened for him, but he didn't lessen who he was either in the whole journey. Okay, so far? And this makes sense of this one simple statement that John makes in the introduction to his gospel. It says this in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made... Through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen, with new ears, if possible, Holy Spirit help us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He didn't shine light at darkness. He put light in the darkness. He put God in the earth. He put God on the cross. He put God in the grave. He put God in hell. He got inside and experienced human darkness and satanically inspired life. And he went deeper and deeper into it, putting light inside everything that was dark even put light in death and the grave. Hence we can say death where is your sting because he took the sting. And if you can receive it, he put, and, and we really need to, he put the trinity in your gloom and into your pain and into your trauma. And the resurrection is the ultimate proof objectively to us that he won and he was not overcome by any of it. And that darkness did not and cannot overcome light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what the resurrection shows us. It's the ultimate hope that no matter how dark, how stubborn and how entrenched the thing is that you are going through on the inside, he's already inside it. He's for us and will partner with us to bring health and healing from the inside out, not the outside in. He shines light in the darkness, not at the darkness. He shines light inside the feeling and inside the problem, not just at the thing. Really important. Christians tend to think that he is the light and he shines light at dark, but actually put light in dark. Because he's not repelled by dark. <laughs> and it makes sense of Psalm 139 verse 12. I'll, I'll read you I'll read you the Passion Version. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me, says the psalmist, for your presence is everywhere. Hello? 
Your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. This is God's perspective on darkness. There's no dark place you can go and he's not there. Whether that's a personal experience or a physical location, that doesn't mean that they're cooperating with him, but doesn't mean he's not present. In fact, God gives people over to their decisions to do bad things when they ignore him, but it doesn't mean he's not there to be ignored. So I want to get to something, so I'm rushing. Okay, so far. So Jesus wasn't standing idly by the abuser when the abuse happened he wasn't a powerless onlooker to my tragedy or my trauma he solved the problem of man's inhumanity to man not by controlling people and stopping them doing it but by stepping into it he didn't violate the free will that he gave us in making us in his image but he took on all the ugly, painful outcomes of us exercising our freedom. So, we ran up the charge card and he paid the bill. So that we could get healed from the damage we were doing to ourselves. Is this... Okay. Uh, I'll leave that bit out. Um, there's no place, no person, no b- demonic situation, no dark pain where he isn't already. And as we partner some faith with that reality, his present light and transformation begins. The light came and the darkness doesn't overcome it. It may resist, it may not see, it may ignore, but it doesn't change the fact. We don't need to be superficial about pain, abuse, demonization, or sin. Neither are we to be hopeless before it. He isn't scared of any of it, and he has conquered all of it. He's put light in anybody's and everybody's darkness. And our job is to help them connect to it. There is no time, no mood, or person he is not intensely delighted in, (laughs) in a unique and special way. He is the welcoming embrace to anyone in any condition, no conditions. He is ridiculously, extravagantly, blissfully in love with you, even on your worst day. He's already incorporated you into his reality and joined you in yours. You are in union all the time, so no part of your life is non-spiritual. He tastes your coffee and eats your curry. He brings health inside your flu or your coronavirus. It's not about it happening, it's about it being realized. He did the heavy lifting for our salvation, our healing, our sanctification, our victory, our provision and our deliverance. He did it at the cross. I just want to say something a bit more about pain. If you're in pain, and I, I was in pain, Teresa was in terrible pain, 
you really want it to go away. That's why sometimes you drink too much or you do, there's any number of things that we do to numb the pain that if you're doing stuff and you don't know why you're doing it, it's possibly driven because there's some pain going on inside of you. I, I was in pain. You have to kind of find a way to deal with pain. <clears throat> as I started to realize that he was already in the pain, like not in it as in approving of it, but even though I couldn't see him there or feel him there, he was there. It helped me say to him, all right, I'll push with you. I'll work with you. And he works from the inside to the outside because he's already in every dark and damaged place of heart and mind, lovingly pushing through the dark to let us know we are already found. Embracing us in the worst places within us, the worst moods and moments of our lives. He is genuinely for us in every mood, every moment, every broken spot, and every horror show. His relentless passion is to fill us from the inside out with his overwhelming love and joy. So I was understanding all of this while Teresa was lying on a sofa in whatever pain she was going through, and I was trying to figure out what God was doing and he was saying I'm in this and I'm working she can't see it necessarily but I'm working from the inside out and I'm doing the same with you so he gave me a letter to write to her at a point where it was difficult for her really to hear and I'm I'm going to read it might help make sense of what I've just said so I'm praying for my wife I'm like oh God we've been at this 40 years there must be a way through where are you in this the questions I asked that's the answer I got so this is what what I wrote to her and I believe this is what the father was saying to her and is saying to us if we're in any kind of spot of pain let's take a moment I would like you to see something and feel something from me my beloved Teresa I would like you to see something and feel something from me I want you to hear the honor I have for you and the time I've taken to comprehend you and to know you and so to meet you where you can see me and in ways you can comprehend me. But there is more and beyond, but not in a complicated way. The more isn't there beyond your current experience because you have failed, but because you have succeeded, because I love you and I want to show you more of myself all of the time. I want you to know that when I was betrayed by my friend Judas, I felt it keenly, like a knife in the back. I'd shared my life with him, I trusted him, I trusted him with our finances, with my heart and with our mission. My heart broke as I knew Peter had done it. I could hear the cock crow from where I was, and I knew he'd caved in, and I saw the rest of them run away. Those who could have been there, some kind of support for me, they all left in fear. My friends left and I did call them friends and they were my friends. Just the faithful women remained and I know if you had been there in that time, you would have remained. You have that same heart, my dear beloved. I want to remind you that I chose this route. 
I was free and I knew I was powerful enough to overcome the opposition if I wanted to. I submitted to the Father in the plan we had birthed together with the Holy Spirit. A plan made before the worlds began, a plan with you in mind and in our heart. We knew you and took pleasure in you before time began and certainly before it went wrong in the garden and before it went wrong in your young life. We wanted you to share our fun and friendship then and now. We knew your father and we loved him as a favorite. We were grieved by his choices. He was free to choose as men and women made in our image are free, even to choose harm. The freedom we gave The freedom we gave feels like little comfort to those who suffer pain and abuse at the hands of those who choose poorly. You are such a one, but our love was deeper and our plan understood the depths of sorrow that humans bring upon one another in their great freedom to choose darkness. And darkness they they choose over and over because they are blind and can't see. You were brave with your parents, You knew you had light and the darkness had ruled the minds and hearts of your parents' environment for generations. You could see it and you could smell it and you could feel it, but you chose to display light in the deepest darkness you knew. To give them a chance to see, you reinserted yourself into darkness because you knew that I had put in you, you you knew what I had put in you was more powerful than all the dark choices they were drowning in. You are more like me than you know. You see, I volunteered for darkness too. I accepted the cruelty of the religious leaders, the assault and battery, the rejection of the crowds, the same crowds who had eaten the bread and cheered me on the donkey. I embraced the cross, that Roman torture machine. I embraced sin and the darkness, and I became it, except I never stopped being light. I placed myself at the heart of human suffering. I endured the worst brutality darkened minds of men could mete out. Uh, It was unjust and it was unfair and it was uncalled for. I did it because I wanted to insert light in the depths of darkness. I moved towards the pain, not away from it, so I could embrace those who were in that pain, who were victims of the world of bad choices, lost and hopeless. I pressed deeper and deeper into darkness, into suffering and evil and experienced it all. And there I found you. None of what I absorbed was mine, or because of my doing. I was bearing the grief and wounds of others and bearing yours. Stricken with what hit, broken, abused you, absorbing and, exp- and experiencing your sorrows. And my light was still light, my love for you still burning strong, my delight and acceptance and affirmation you still burning strong. I embraced you in the darkest place of your abandonment. I embraced you with love in the darkest thoughts and darkest places. I found you and many like you so that I could hold you and share with you the Father's joy in you in that dark place. In the deepest, darkest place, there I am, and I am light, and the darkness cannot and did not overcome it. I'm not papering over the cracks or expecting you to get your act together. I did what I did with your family I did what you did with your family as you took your light into their darkness, knowing what a harsh and unforgiving place it was. I took my light into the darkest place you have ever been, knowing that my light is greater. So inside pain, I'm there. 
Behind trauma, I am pushing with my great love to see it healed. Even if you can't see me immediately because it's dark, I have not forsaken you at any point, but not in a way that would control others, but in a way that would bring healing to the wounds caused to you by others' poor use of freedom. Just the last paragraph. I entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right by healing the hearts of those who received the light, not by controlling those who wouldn't receive it. In the resurrection, I showed my love is more powerful and more overwhelming than any terror inflicted on a human by another human. That love is in you, and I will continue to love you, celebrate and rejoice over you every second of your life, regardless of how you're feeling or how you're doing at that moment, even regardless of how you feel about me at that point. You are a pearl, a treasure of great price, a lost one I loved and found. I will never leave you for any reason, and nothing in existence can force a separation. My embrace of you is and always will be full of joy, affection, and excited acceptance. You are my daughter or son, and you're beautiful within, and I will keep showing you what I see is really you. Lots of joyful love and big hugs, Daddy God. Let me just stand Father God, I just want to pray for everybody here and those who are listening to have an encounter with your love that is so deep and so strong and so reassuring. Jesus, I want to thank you that you didn't leave the darkness to run its course you interrupted it in the most profound way you put your light inside of me and inside of every person here you are living inside us and you are cheering us on you're pushing from the inside out you are celebrating us you are dancing around on the inside even if we don't see it or feel it right now but you are and uh, you will just long you long for us just to cooperate with the push and the process that you are doing inside us. So we want to say yes. We want to say yes to light. I'm just you could do that, just say yes to light, yes to him working in you from the inside out. He has never left you. He will never leave you. And he will always work within you. I don't know what else to say. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.